0: Welcome to The Intuitive Edge, episode 176. Today's guest, computer developer, author, blogger, Brian Suchetik.
1: So much of our communication is nonverbal, or at the very least, uh, it is is not the words themselves, right? And so it's like a lot like the intuition plays into that stuff, right? I have to say, I I think I'm feeling this right now, and I'm going to ask like an exploratory question based on, you know, what my gut is telling me.
0: Welcome to the Intuitive Edge. I'm Victoria Lynn Weston, your host. I'm an intuitive business consultant, entrepreneur, and founder of Studio Carlton. We're voice designers, producers, and developers of custom Amazon Alexa skills. I embrace big, bold ideas and love doing the unpredictable when it comes to helping business owners and professionals expand their brand, gain recognition, raise their visibility, and most importantly, attract new business. The future is here all about voice. Check out StudioCarlton.com. Today's guest is author, founder, software developer from Boston, Massachusetts, Brian Suchetta. After college, Brian put his computer science background to use as both a consultant and a writer in his first book, Get Out of Your Head. He draws parallels between computer systems and the human brain and gives readers practical strategies for overcoming anxiety. He's all about mental wellness, and it's a pleasure to introduce you to him. But first, let me tell you about his brand, A Perspective Shift. If you go to his website, getoutofyourhead.com, you'll find that it's interesting uh, branding on it, we shall say. It looks a little different than other mental health brands, and that's what they wanted. They wanted to turn heads. His brand story is defined by Brian Sucheta's approach to the subject. After he read countless books, listening to days worth of podcasts, surfed the web for honest blog posts, he found himself with much of the same sunshine and rainbows mental health story, copy and pasted. Nothing was down to earth or straightforward. And most importantly, very little seemed to help out all that much. Brian set out to change that. And that's why he started Get Out of Your Head and trademarked it. So let's go connect with Brian and learn about him, his story, and more importantly, his books, Get Out of Your Head. So, Brian, you have this awesome book, Get Out of Your Head. And to me, it evoked this, this sort of image. Get out of your head mean, to me, My I mean, get your ego out of the way.
1: So, I mean, that is a small part of it. And it's definitely a way that you could interpret it. For me, it's more, okay, approaching anxiety, approaching depression. There are many different ways that we can talk about both of those diseases I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. So I'm not really qualified to talk about some of the medical approaches to anxiety and depression. But where I can come in is I can talk about my experiences and I can talk about, you know, things that we all relate to on a human level. And one of those being our ability or propensity to get in our heads and overthink. So when it comes to anxiety, right, we, there's something, something will come up on our calendars or there's a scary, possibility off in the distance and when that thing hits our brains sometimes we obsess over it we think about it to basically to no end right, the, right exactly. the wheels of our minds start turning the fear gets going and so the the idea behind get out of your head is basically you know as lay people who are not necessarily the ones that can prescribe medication and things like that what are, what are the some of the things that we can do to put ourselves back in the driver's seat when it comes to anxiety and depression. And one of those things is not necessarily controlling our thoughts, but but having the awareness to say, look, I, I know I'm in my head right now, and this is not productive. I know I'm overthinking, I'm ruminating, and I need strategies at my disposal that I can use to pull myself out of these loops of overthinking. Um, and a lot of those strategies I cover in in my books, in my blog, and some of these podcast appearances.
0: So what is the inspiration behind Get Out of Your Head? I mean, what inspired you to do that? Was it an intuitive spark?
1: Yeah, you and I had emailed a little bit uh, about this. So, I mean, the very first book, right? I have two books. So the first one's Get Out of Your Head, A Toolkit for Living With and Overcoming Anxiety. The second one is Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression. And the first one, like, it's funny, you know, I actually wrote the manuscript five years ago, and a lot changes in five years. Uh, At the time, I had... And, I, you know, I still from time to time deal with anxiety, but I've gotten a lot better with it. And that was one of the reasons that I wanted to write the book. At the time, it was like I had made so much progress with anxiety and with my own condition that I felt the the need or desire to share some of my insights with the world. And that was kind of my intuition, right, saying, hey, you are you are qualified in some way to write this book. You can help other people and you should do that. Um, obviously if I didn't listen to that message that, you know, my gut or my heart was telling me, I probably wouldn't have written a book and then I wouldn't have helped some of the people that I've helped. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I was also saying when I, you know, some of our, um, conversation before the interview, I was saying like, intuition is a great thing, but it can, it it can lead us to the wrong places sometimes. Right. It's like, yeah, maybe you write a book and it doesn't do well at all. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, uh, you know, I spent all that time on why did I do that? But I also think that intuition is really good at getting us uh, to quick failures in a way where it's like, you know, rather than being on the path of least resistance and saying, oh, I've been doing this thing for 10 years and I'm kind of stuck here. It's like, if you follow your intuition, even if things go poorly, I think at the very least, they're going to go poorly in a way that all of a sudden you feel the need to course correct. Whereas being on that path of least resistance, you probably wouldn't get that push for a while. So I think that is helpful. And then for me, you know, it's like, after I published the first book and I kind of listened, you know, to my intuition and, and said, I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I just started jumping into the brand more and more, right? I said, okay, I'm, I'm helping people. I'm connecting with people. How do I get more content out there? And so that was, you know, the desire to continue writing blog posts, to jump on podcasts like these ones, and then eventually write the second book. It's funny, just the journey that you go on as you build a brand, as you create a company, you know, twists and turns and things that pop up or, opportunities that you have that you didn't even think of when you got started so that that's another reason that intuition can be helpful is it can lead you to places that you you, you know maybe you didn't imagine uh, I don't necessarily say that in the like oh you know like I'm a multimillionaire now or something like yeah. that just you, it can lead to uh, relationships with different people creative opportunities business opportunities and that sort of thing
0: Right. So, the first part about the intuition and then writing this book that you were talking about, and and not you specifically, but anybody, any of us have been out there doing things and you think, gee, you didn't really go off. Well, the first thing that skews intuition is wishful thinking. And, And that's why people don't, you know, try to use intuition to play the lottery and that. And that's the first thing out of the way with that. So, because you can' you, you can 't you can't win the lottery because you 're always wishing that you 're going to wish, and the intuition isn 't going to be as as spot on in your case, however, you probably had this spark as as you alluded to a little bit that you had to do it was part of your journey, part of your destiny, but most importantly, it was part of your passion and that 's what led to not just the first book but also the, the second book and what you 're doing and then of course, you do the consulting and, and imagine a good deal of um, Uh, speaking. For me and what I see in you, it's all about the passion. Life is about going for the passion. You found your passion writing this and helping people because you knew you had the key to be able to do that. So how many people have, has this book helped? Have you talked to anybody and said, Oh my God, this book really helped me out a lot.
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I hate to like toot my own horn, but at the same time, like I, I also want people to know that we're out there helping others and making an impact I also think that from a broad sense, like not even talking about my own book, but I was on a podcast recently with a woman who had said, like, you know, I have no idea how many downloads I get. I don't know if I'm making an impact or something like that. <laughs> and I was saying to myself, like, you are creating a platform that helps young people with mental illness. If one person listens to that and it really helps them, like, that is amazing. And that was the, that was sort of the thought that I went into the first book on. I said to myself, like, I was stuck in a job that, I wasn't really that passionate about, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was really making any sort of a difference. You know, I was working for, uh, you know, selling software development contracts to large corporations and it it kind of felt a little bit like cog in the wheel kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I already wanted to write the book, but then I said to myself, like, if I can just help one person, you know, in publishing it and having them read it, that would be amazing. And that would provide me with more meaning than I've gotten in this job in a really long time. Uh, you know, to speak to the numbers themselves, uh, the book has sold decently well. I think it sold about 25,000 copies. I've gotten a lot of nice messages from you know people on Instagram and Facebook Messenger, uh, some emails as well. People just saying like, hey, you know, this has really helped me. Thank you for X, Y, Z. And it's it's not, it's really not like again, I hate tooting my own horn. I, I hate feeling like I'm doing that. It's more just like really moving to see like. The fact that I have been through some of these situations, I've been through some of the despair, and I have been able to use that uh, in a positive way to help other people, right? I think you see in our country these days, there's so much division, there's so much hate. um, And it's like people can use the bad things that happen in their lives to tear other people down. And that's really sad, you know? Um, Obviously, we need a lot more coming together and getting those messages online from readers and listeners it's like, it definitely warms my heart, right? It's like, it makes me feel like I'm making a little bit of a difference. It makes me feel like I'm helping people come together, help them see the light. And I'm using some of my challenging experiences in a positive way. Uh, I will say I had a reader who unexpectedly sent me an email and actually got a tattoo of the snake brain logo that I have. And that was <laughs> That's really cool. Like,
0: yeah, yeah that,
1: that, that was definitely like a little bit of an ego stroke. I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, it was like, I read his full message and he was like, this thing really changed my life. Like I was heading for divorce with my wife. You know, I I didn't like my job and all this sort of, all things of that nature. He ended up making a lot of changes, you know, stuck it out with his wife. He said their relationship is better than it's ever been. And it was one of those like, Hey, this isn't about me. Right. I, I it's great that I'm able to do those things, but I'm just moved that like that person, their life is improved as a, as a result of having read the content. And it's just really, uh, it's, it's like humbling in a way, you know?
0: So you did book number one, and it's done very well twenty five thousand copies is pretty extraordinary and Book number two is all about navigating the abyss of depression and tell me how how do you define depression, and how does get out of your head the abyss of depression help someone?
1: yeah. So I would say I define depression. I, I try to define everything in the books like a little bit more simply, right? I think when we get lost in the minutia of like, oh, you know, you have to exhibit this symptom for this long or or something like that. I think we're sometimes doing people a disservice, right? If somebody is feeling really lousy for a a significant amount of time, then it's in their best interest to you know speak to somebody to get help. I like to say in the second book that depression. Uh, is basically like a disease of helplessness and hopelessness, and that any time that we feel that way for, you know, probably more than a week, again, it, it makes sense to to seek out help, to talk to other people. Um, there are all sorts there there are all sorts of different classifications of depression. I do talk about them in the book, but at the same time, I kind of say like, hey, they are important distinctions, but they're not really that important here. If you're feeling the way that I think you're feeling, like just come along for the ride and let's see where we get. The second book, like, and not that there's no empathy in the first book, there certainly is. Um, but the second book is like, is just, um, I, I think it's chock full of empathy. I, I wrote from a perspective of like, to me, you know, I've dealt with anxiety and I've dealt with depression and they're both very serious and, and difficult things to deal with. But I think that any time that you get driven by something to the brink of, you know, not wanting to live anymore, not wanting to be on earth or something like that. I don't know how it gets much worse than that. I mean, obviously there are like situations in which, you know, people lose loved ones, uh, you know, suffer all sorts of tragedies and things like that. But I think those situations also bring us to that feeling of, Hey, maybe I don't want to be here anymore. Um, and it's like from, from a psychological perspective, I don't know how it gets much worse than that. Maybe from a physical or, uh, you know, just uh, like circumstantial standpoint, uh, maybe things are worse than that. But uh, for me, just knowing that, right. Saying, listening to, to uh, you know, interviewed a lot of folks going into the book and, and hearing those stories and just like really feeling like, wow, like that, that's obviously one of the worst feelings that we can possibly experience. And I've been there before as well and just know how difficult it is to get through. So the second book is more of this sort of like, hey, take my hand, we're going on this difficult, arduous journey, um, but I'm going to throw a lot of different ideas at you and sort of present, um, you know, a different life philosophy to you around Uh, You know, not just how we look at depression, but how we look at the world and then uh, present also a lot of different healing modalities in in hopes of, um, you know, getting uh, the reader, the listener through uh, that quote unquote abyss.
0: Tell me a tip like in the book that step number one, what does one do to sort of snap out of a depressed mood?
1: Yeah, and I think so a distinction I do want to make is like, I think anxiety lends itself a little bit more to the like snap out of it sort of thing and i don't mean like hey just just like it, not not in the sense of telling someone to snap out of it but from the standpoint of like we can do something that helps us change how we're feeling really quickly uh, i think depression is a little bit more pervasive and sometimes more insidious than depression and it's difficult to have that same sort of like you know i changed my state really quickly and i'm not depressed anymore this one is more of like You know, talking about the the ongoing battle of depression. How do we slowly over time? How do we get there? Um, You know, there are some things that I talk about. If we wanted to, if we wanted to focus on one specifically, like, uh, you know, there's some studies out there that talk about how exercise uh, is proven to be uh, possibly just as effective as antidepressant medication in the treatment of depression. And you know, for me, I know that if I'm having a bad day or if I'm not feeling great, uh, if I go for a run, like that right. gets me back into my body. That helps me clear some of my thoughts. It doesn't necessarily mean that like, if you're, you know, suffering through major depressive disorder that you go on a three mile run and you're going to be cured. Um, you know, so much of this second book, it, you know, it, sort of what I'm speaking to here is like, I think depression is a little bit more of like a management kind of thing, managing to the point where eventually it wanes or or it falls off anxiety. I think. Um, not, not to say that you like, you you can't manage anxiety either, or you shouldn't try to do that. But I think it's, I think anxiety can be sometimes a little bit more acute, if you will, uh, and, and acute being like kind of speaking in the sense that like, you can maybe do one specific thing to change how you're feeling. So, um, I don't know, is, is that helpful or do you want to jump into some more of those examples? Tell me
0: about what chapter two is all about.
1: Chapter two. Oh, wow. Uh, this is funny. Yeah. Uh, so I have to think about the, uh, the names, the names of the titles themselves. Uh-huh. Um, let me see. That's a great question. Uh, you know, it's funny. I have, I have, I have them memorized, uh, but maybe, maybe not on the spot. Uh, chapter one is, uh, a new journey. Another journey begins. Chapter two, uh, is a perfect storm. So perfect storm was just me talking about my own experience of falling into depression, uh, in 2018 and um you know a battle that lasted for somewhere around a year um but it was like you know just kind of wanting to set the scene and also you know have this imagery this theme uh recurring throughout the book of basically like being on a boat right sailing the seas of life uh i guess metaphorically speaking and eventually or sometimes falling into these these pits of despair that open up in the ocean the abysses right and so it was me talking about how i got there and then Sort of throughout the rest of the book, I was I was presenting different ideas and frameworks. That then I went and said, okay, now let's go back and dissect that experience a little bit based off of some of the frameworks that we've talked about. If that makes sense,
0: you take people on on a a journey on this book to help them out of out of the depression. Is there any types of exercises that you sort of invite them to participate in, other than maybe the obvious like exercising? Is meditation part of it?
1: We do talk about meditation a little bit. I, I cover it more in the first book. Again, this this second one is is kind of a little bit more high level, a little more philosophical, right? So I talk about a concept um, that comes from computer science called uh, state management or a state machine. And so all that really refers to is that like um, it's this basic notion that computers operate. Uh, on the basis of which uh, state they're currently in, and so we could say, like, okay, what's a state? A state is a configuration or a feeling, uh, the the current the current way in which the system finds itself, or even uh, the way a person finds itself. And so the the idea of state management is is the notion that either computers or us, uh, we we can play an active role in managing which state we're in, or a computer can do that as well, right? So. Um, When we look at a state machine, we may say, okay, I'm I'm thinking about how this computer is operating, and I'm saying, you know, the, the computer or the computer program could get into states A, B, and C. And then, you know, from state A, it could go to state C. It might not be able to go directly from state A to state B or something like that. And then in state A, this is how it operates. And then also, this is how it moves from state A to state C. So it's this idea of sort of creating a map that helps us see... Uh, you know the different inputs and outputs um, that help us get to different emotions different feelings in our lives and so i i I take this concept and i basically say you know depression is one of these states and so that means that when we are feeling depressed we are thinking acting doing feeling in different ways than we would be if we were say happy joyous uplifted or something like that and so we have to take that and know that you know one one of the important things there is that because um you know the state we're in kind of governs or influences how we think, act, and feel, we need to look at depression and say to ourselves that when we are depressed, we may be thinking, acting, and feeling in ways that aren't necessarily commensurate with how the world actually is aligned right now. Mm -hmm. So we may look out and say, you know, the world is a terrible, evil, dark place. And maybe that's true, but also maybe that's actually us sort of projecting our own internal state onto the world. And so one of the concepts that I talk about, and again, this is why the book is a little bit more high, high level philosophical, is saying like, rather than focusing on how we're seeing things, let's focus on our state. Let's say, okay, let's go back to that map and say, we've done the, the difficult plotting of saying, when I'm depressed, this is what I need to do to get to a different state and then figure out how, like, well, I guess we've already figured out how to get there, but focus on that, that state change rather than focusing on, you know, the, the dark way in which we see the world right now. Uh, cause I think one of the things with mental illness in general is we get, we get attached to obsessed with, uh, caught on, you know, emotions, right? We, we, we spin over them. And then, so instead of saying like, okay, I need to focus on feeling better we focus on how dark the world is how bad our you know our current situation is uh that sort of thing
0: now in addition to being this amazing author and writer of these two books get out of your head you also do coaching and you do coaching to help people about you know mental health and obviously focusing on wellness and that when did you start that
1: yeah that was a couple of years ago um you know kind of just when i Went from basically book one into uh, understanding that this was you know a full brand and something that I uh, you know wanted to help folks with in any way that I could rather than just saying like hey every few years I drop a book right it's it's this I I was talking about this on a previous podcast or a recent one where I said like it's it's awesome to be an author but at the end of the day you know an author is really just somebody who provides content to people that um, they think is important right or they think uh, could be fun or entertaining or something like that. And so as an author in the mental health space, I provide content that I think could help people. And if I only have the ability to help people once every three years with a book, or, you know, obviously uh, a book could be older and somebody could still find it today and read it and get help from it. Um, But I, you know, there's this, I definitely want to continue to put out new information, new content. So it's like thinking about the different mediums, right? It's like, okay, a book is a little bit more high level. I can't necessarily write a, bu- a book for, for Victoria, right? It's it's going to be uh, a little bit more mass market kind of thing. Uh, same thing with a blog post, right? It, right. it, it could be a, speci- a really specific concept, but I'm not going to be able to say, here's how that c- concept applies to you. Uh, the same thing with a podcast. Uh, and then if we look at the coaching, that's where we could then integrate some of those higher level ideas into somebody's specific situation so it was you know sort of just looking at you know i guess my entire i would call it like a product suite or product offering right and understanding that there's some sort of hole there in saying that like people still need help of taking the information and applying it to their own lives Uh, i like the i like the notion or the the idea that like everybody needs a coach because uh, you know we can't always see our own blind spots you know, even Michael Jordan had a coach. So, and it's not, not not to say that.
0: So what is your ideal client? Is it a man? Is it somebody in their thirties? Is he an executive or is it a female? So who's, who's your ideal client that you'd like to uh, coach? Yeah. I
1: mean, I think the ideal client is probably somebody like myself, just in the sense of we're going to have similar interests, similar, uh, we might have similar life situations, right? It's like if somebody is a little bit older and they um, they are experiencing stress and anxiety and whatnot due to their grandkids. It's going to be a little bit harder for me to relate to that sort of thing, even though like, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's a business of empathy and, and I can definitely extend that no matter the situation. So, I mean, I do this, I, I kind of have the same approach with uh, my software consulting that I do, you know, full-time is basically I'll sit down with somebody and see like, do, do my skills and uh, you know, the things that I can provide, do those align with what you need? And if they don't like, yeah, sure, it'd be great to, you know, build the business more, but I'm not going to like try to fit a square peg in a round hole and say, oh, just come on board because I'd love to have you as a client. It's like, at the end of the day, I I want this person, uh, you know, to be helped. And if I think that I can do that in a good way, then I'll bring them on board. And if I don't think I can do that, then maybe I make a recommendation uh, to someone else.
0: So when you're talking with a client, um, how does your intuition come into play? I mean, because obviously extrasensory perception, you can't help but using some intuitive, um, thought process that goes there. I mean, so how do you, how does that help you uh, work with a client?
1: Yeah, that's kind of the, like, if we think about like art, artwork or not artwork, sorry, (laughs) science, art versus science, right? Um, there is a science to the coaching of saying like, Hey, these are some of the, the, the key touch points that I go back to. These are some of the questions that I ask. Like, here's my framework for approaching these calls, but the, the art side of it is is the unknown right of, of going into these conversations and saying i don't know what this person is dealing with necessarily i may have to pull it out of them i don't know what my approach is going to be off the bat i need to get in there and kind of assess the situation some of that is it really comes from intuition right it's like one of the things that i uh i don't know a concept that i find really interesting and also uh, some, somewhat annoying just in the sense that we're all moving online so to speak is like so much of our communication is nonverbal, or at the very least, uh, it is it is not the words themselves, right? And so it's like if we text each other, there is so much of that conversation, of that communication that's get that gets lost in the translation. Oh, if sure. we're on the yeah. on the phone, I can pick up on some of that stuff, right? Your your tone of voice, the way that you say things, um, maybe some of the questions that you ask or um, you know, the 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 excitement that or or lack lack thereof in your voice. Um, if we're on video, then I can read some of your body language, right? Your facial expression. So um, I, I think a lot like the intuition plays into that stuff, right? I have to say, I, I think I'm feeling this right now. And I'm going to ask like a an exploratory question based on, you know, what my gut is telling me.
0: Very good. Very good. So how do you prepare for a session when you're getting ready to talk with a client?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have, you know, a, a, a basic uh, script or framework where it's kind of like we get a sense of where they are right now. I ask some probing questions and try to get a lay of the land. Um, but from there it, it is you know again it's 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 kind of you know on that on that concept of like the books are high level uh, and sort of broad the coaching is is really in the weeds um, it It can be a little bit hard to prepare in the sense that like you know the actually some of the easier calls are the ones that are further down the road where I already know this person the earlier ones, it's like, sometimes you have to do some difficult work to like pull something out of somebody and you don't know what they're dealing with. And they may not even totally realize it yet. Just if that makes sense. I'm not saying like, I'm trying to convince them of it or anything, but they may not want to admit to themselves. Right. Like for men, it's really difficult to say like, I'm depressed. Like that's just something that our society has sort of pushed down over time. Right. So it's like, I may ask a male specific questions and then say to them say to that person like how have you been feeling like you know uh, do you think you may be dealing with low grade depression do you think you may have you know resentment or uh, regret in your life or something like that and it's again with <laughs> the with clients that are earlier in the process it, it can be difficult but I, I do have to lean on both the science right the the script that I have the the questions that I have and the art of saying like okay, here's what my intuition is telling me. Here's what our conversation tells me uh, about your situation. I could be wrong. And in that regard, like I'm going to ask questions that are probing. I'm not going to say like, hey, you are depressed because that, you know, I I could definitely be wrong, but um, it's kind of fusing those two approaches and and seeing where we get.
0: Right. So do you work out every day?
1: I try to go, I try to go about five days a week. I mean, I've just been so, so busy Um, recently. And I mean, on and off, for a long time, but uh, so it, it's like sometimes the, if I take a day off, it's like literally just because I didn't have enough time to do it. But the the working out, I, I say on a lot of these podcasts, it's like, I love the physical aspect of it. And that's great. But like 90 to 95% of the reason I work out is for the mental aspect. I know that if I sit on my couch for like five days in a row, I'm, I'm just going to go crazy. So, um, I try to work out as often as I can. It's like some days, you know, it's like if it's, if I'm in Boston and it's the winter time, I try to walk every day, but like in the winter, it's so cold that I, it's hard for me to even bring myself to like, you know, get out the front door. So you, I just try to figure out what I'm working with and, and find the right solution.
0: So are you a vegetarian?
1: Yeah, I am uh, I would call it 99% vegan. So it's like, yeah. I'll throw in a piece of pizza every once in a while, but <laughs> I've been vegetarian. Like I've been, I've been full vegetarian. Well, I guess I've been, I had, I, I was eating fish, like, I don't know, maybe five years ago, four years ago. But, um, besides fish, I went vegetarian, uh, about 10 years ago and then went like, you know, I dropped fish like four years ago. And I, I really haven't eaten a lot of like, uh, dairy products and stuff like that. Uh, probably in the last, probably in that same 10-year time span, but uh, it's it's tough to give up the pizza, especially when you go to social outings. And uh, I mean,
0: yeah, i am never, i am never given up pizza. I'm not, that's one thing I've never given up. I can go without all the other stuff, but how do you feel though? I mean, cause you're into mental health, which I think a lot of this stuff has to do with the kind of foods we put into our body, which obviously is a big component of how we feel. Um, so I'm not a red meat eater. I haven't eaten red meat for a long time and for years, you know, probably a good 30 years. Uh, but so how do you feel about that plant-based food? You know, because when it first came out, I was excited. My husband is vegetarian, so he didn't like to eat meat either. But I keep telling him, I said, well, it's still a processed food. And a processed food has all these other, like, preservatives and compounds in it and different things, sodium and all that kind of stuff. So what's your take if you're not eating, you know, fish and, and meat yourself? Do you eat the plant-based, you know? Um, although but, but, I love Morningstar, you know, the little breakfast, uh, thingies, you know, little sausages are, are pretty good.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, I, I eat the original plant-based diet, which is like legitimate plants, right? Very good. Uh, just, very good. Just a joke there. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, some of the, some of the processed foods, like I, I kind of look at those as treats or something like that, to be honest, like I love what, beyond and impossible are doing for the space in the sense that they are bringing like meat eaters over to the vegetarian side. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know if I see that as like a pure vegetarian play or a pure vegetarian product. I think that like for me, I don't, I never liked the taste of beef. I basically, I my family pretty much never ate red meat. I actually had uh, a stint in the hospital when I was in college where I tried, you know, I, ha- I had tried to eat red meat and I actually got colitis because of it because my my body didn't know how to process it. I hadn't eaten it like basically my entire life.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I, ne- I never liked that flavor. So like for me, beyond and impossible, like again, love what they're doing. It's amazing for the planet and the animals, uh, the environment. But at the same time, like I, I just, I will only eat that stuff if I go to a restaurant and that's the only veggie option. Um, eat like, you know, eat a lot of hummus, a lot of beans, a lot of salads. I do definitely eat some processed foods. Like I love some of the snack bars that you'll buy at Whole Foods or something like that. But I do try to keep it relatively healthy, you know, like the original uh, whole food plant-based diet, just things that you would get at the store. Um, And, you know, the philosophy for me there is like on the back of a story, like that quick one that I just mentioned where I, you know, went to the hospital in college. It's like, my philosophy is, I want to eat in a way that makes me feel good or at the very least minimizes the amount of pain I experience. Uh, I feel as though I have like a relatively sensitive stomach. And so if I have a stomach ache, like I am a very unhappy person. And so I try to eat in a way that aligns with that. Like I, I, I remember this one day, I think I was in college. I went to a graduation party and then a few friends and I, um, we went, you know, out drinking afterwards and at the party I had like a half of a pizza, um, yeah, this was when I was still eating some meat. I had a bunch of chicken fingers, french fries, all that. I woke up in the middle of the night with just like real tough stomachache. And it was one of those moments where you're like, I just, this doesn't make any sense. Like the the reward is not worth the cost. So um, yeah, my, my philosophy again, is just eating in a way that helps me feel better uh, or at the very least minimizes the amount of like physical pain I feel. And then playing into the mental health uh, aspect I know that when my body doesn't feel good, like my mind is the next thing to go. So if, if I'm saying sure. oh, I feel lousy, like the next thing I know, I'm thinking bad thoughts. I'm feeling anxious. I'm spinning the wheels in my mind. So uh, my diet is another line of defense, uh, uh, you know, in my mental health battle.
0: So a refrigerator tells a lot about an individual. So if you were to open your refrigerator door right now, tell me what's in there.
1: Yeah, it's pretty funny. There's uh, <laughs> there's not that much in there right now. Um there is I make a lot of homemade hummus, so there's a bunch of homemade hummus in there. Do you make the uh, Israeli
0: kind of forget the chef's name? I I love hummus myself too. Do you do you like cook your uh chickpeas down and, and do it that way?
1: I soak them and then like boil them the next day.
0: Yeah, um, that's what I do too. And you put this I think there's baking soda or something that goes in that process.
1: Okay, yeah, I haven't done the baking soda, but uh yeah, I love making it. And the thing is it's it's so easy and it's so cheap, like you know, it's, I live in Boston, we go out a decent amount. And, you know, you find sometimes it's like, yeah, I, I love, I love food. I love going out to restaurants. But there's some nights where it's like you go out with your friends and you, you ate like two tablespoons of food and it was 120 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with the hummus, it's like, I can make a week's worth for like eight to 10 bucks. And it's and it's great. Um, I guess what else is in my fridge, probably a lot of seltzer water. Um, there's some some of these like overnight oats products that you can get at like, Market Basket and Whole Foods. I've been eating some of those. And then um, cucumbers for the hummus, uh, carrots for the hummus. I've got uh, you know some stuff to make salads and then like kale that I'll throw into smoothies. I start every day with a smoothie. Um, it's basically like protein powder, bananas, uh, some sort of frozen fruit, a couple of the you know, super fruit powders or something like that. Um, that's a good way. I, f- I find that to be really good for like my digestive
0: health. Yeah, I hear you. Anyway, Brian, it's been a pleasure to have you here. I'm so excited about your books, and I encourage everybody to read them, even because we all know somebody that's dealing with some type of anxiety, possibly depression, and maybe some other uh, more serious types of, of mental illness, and it's they're called Get Out of Your Head, a toolkit for living with, living with and overcoming anxiety, and Get Out of Your Head, volume number two, navigating the abyss of depression or just being down in the dumps. And Brian, it's been great. And uh, I look forward to talking with you again in the future. So keep in touch.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you for having me, Victoria. And anyone who's listening and struggling, just know uh, you're not alone. Like, I have a lot of respect and a lot of love for you. And uh, I wish you the best. So.
0: Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's show with my special guest, Brian Sucheta. Be sure to check out his website, getoutofmyhead.com. And if you or you know someone that is going through some mental issues such as depression or just can't put their finger on it and everything in life is always about wellness, body, mind, and spirit, and Brian offers some very valuable tips, insights, and opportunities to resolve those issues. So check out getoutofmyhead.com. In the meantime, if you're ready to raise your visibility, expand your brand, and get on a voice platform like Amazon Alexa, check out studiocarleton.com. We are voice designers, producers, and developers of custom Amazon Alexa skills. We can also do some work for you uh, with Google Home if you want that as a platform. But the future's here. It's all about voice. People aren't going to be tethered to the computers anymore. Anyway, and there's millions of users on Amazon Alexa every day using their Amazon Echo devices, the Alexa app, or even in their car. Have a wonderful day. The Intuitive Edge is produced by Weston Media Group, LLC, Atlanta, Georgia.